This is Film Center, your number one show for real entertainment industry news. No fluff, all facts. Now, here are your anchors, Derek Johnson II and Nicholas Killian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Film Center. My name is Derek Johnson II. I'm Nicholas Killian. And today, we are joined by... Hey, y'all. It's May Stone. Hi, May. How you doing today? I'm good. How are y'all? Doing pretty good. Really good. It's good to finally get you on. I've known you for a while now. I know, right? now. I'm glad to be here. This is adorable. Yeah. How you been? I've been great, honestly. I have been tackling a couple new things. I'm already working on how I want to plan out the rest of my 2024 as far as any other productions and just well, independent productions specifically. A um, couple collaborations I have coming up with some of my other producer friends, so I'm really excited. I got a lot to look forward to. Fantastic. And as you guys know, we do keep this show on the road. So currently we are here at uh, BJ's Restaurants in Burbank, California. As yes, you might you remember it from previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background before we get into you being a producer and How did you stuff? become the you that you are today? Let's see how far back I want to get. You're from France, right? No, I'm actually from <laughs> Dallas, Texas, um, and I am a Cowboys fan. It's America's Unfortunate favorite team. Unfortunate for you. Oh, don't start with me. Do not start with me. <laughs> Unfortunate for you. <laughs> I'm also a Mavs fan, and shout out to the Rangers. But So I went to the University of North Texas. My major was... They call it converged broadcast media. Before that, I was a pre-RTVF. What is converged broadcast? It's the convergence of all medias, radio, television, film, web. It's the Thanos of media. You know what I'm saying? So basically, I do it all is what I'm saying. And before that, my pre-major was radio, television, and film, but then I changed. And then I had a cute little internship at CW33 in Dallas as a social media intern, so that was fun. Was it your first real dig into media? Actually, yeah. Actually, yeah, it was. Outside of me working for the uh, at the radio station at school, and you know, I finally got that internship in Dallas. And that was, I'm really grateful for that to be able to start in like top five, you know what I mean, uh, just for an internship. What was the process of you getting that internship? So basically, I just had to buy. I think I was just looking around for different internships at, like I said, just the top media companies across Dallas. I needed the internship in order to graduate otherwise I probably wouldn't have done one but I looking back it was very important that I did get an internship too how did you go about knowing that you how did you go about getting the internship like where literally I just googled it I just I googled just different internships NBC ABC CW CW 33 just happened to have an internship coming up and I was just right on time I applied for it. One of the reporters reached out to me, interviewed me for it, and then I just, I got it. So I was working there for about three months for social media. I did a little bit of everything. I did do some logging, transcribing. I went out on the field for reporting. What did your parents think about this? Have you, did they know from, like, earlier this is always, you always wanted to be in media or where? Yeah, definitely. So growing up, I was always acting. So I was always doing community theater, singing and stuff like that. I was always performing. But then I just wanted to give a give it a try just for reporting and producing as well and so that's been pretty lucrative for me so my parents were they were just like go for it even after I graduated from UNT I was home for about seven months and then I finally got a job as a TV news reporter but it was in Oklahoma I don't tell nobody I used to live in Oklahoma but I was in Oklahoma for like a year shout out to the state of Oklahoma like for helping out Miss Stone here <laughs> Yo. how did you like it what was the what was it like living in Oklahoma 
living in Oklahoma, oh my God, they have such a wide array of weather. I saw like real snow for the first time and I hated it. It was like almost up to yeah. my knees. It was crazy. But I love the people and the food was so good. Like they had the same type of hospitality. But my only thing though is I, hard news was just not for me. And I, some people say, if it's not hard news, then what are you going to do, fluff? And it's just like, if that's what you want to call it, fine. But I don't mind doing some investigative journalism. I prefer entertainment journalism or just just stuff like this. Just talking with people who are doing, like, really cool things for the community and stuff like that is what I prefer. But the, the murders and the burglaries, I was like, I had enough. Dude. You had enough of it's the, depressing. the Oklahoma murders? Murders huh? in Oklahoma? Oh my God! Yes. Is that all you? Was that what they always had you covering? Was murders? No, it was a wide array of things. So I might be covering a fundraising event on Monday, but then Tuesday I'm covering a murder. And did then- you ever get? Now this is before YouTube was super popular, and we saw all the back BTS funny clips. Or were there, do you think there's one of you floating out there on the internet right now? Mess YouTube up off was camera? very popular, so you might would see me honestly. All right, so everyone go to the internet right now. No. Search up Mason, Oklahoma. No, yeah, please do. <laughs> no, you won't find me. <laughs> I have so, scrubbed the internet. <laughs> what, how did you get the job in Oklahoma? Literally, there was this one platform called like TV Jobs or something like that, tvjobs.com. So I just... Shared them? I guess so. They give you like the exact email, essentially, of all of the like directors and stuff to get hired. Really? Yeah, they do. So that's pretty much it. I, I literally just went and I applied for it. And I was I got the job. I had about two interviews and then I got the gig. So then I had to move three hours away up to Oklahoma. What Dang, did your parents say? I hate to say it. I, I you you had the experience and backing. You were qualified for the job, but yeah. Man, that was so simple. <laughs> These people have all twists and turns before they get there. I applied for about. 200 reporter jobs, though. Multimedia journalists or writing newscast. No, that's why it took me seven months because some people do get hired right out of college, but unfortunately, I had to just the waiting game a little bit. But my parents, they were cool about it. My dad, he trying to he cracked a joke about it too because Oklahoma got the tornadoes and stuff. He's like, don't get swept up. I'm like, whatever, dude. So is that? So then, what brought you to Los Angeles? I mean, I've always been an actor, and I just love performing. Theater is really my first love, and that's what really helps me to build my confidence, um, just being in front of the camera and being on stage. So Were I w- you in theater in high school? Oh, absolutely. I've always done theater. I was in theater in high school. I did community theater. I was in theater. Since I was a little kid, I was always, like, performing and stuff like that and doing little musicals and stuff across Dallas. So I was just like, I really want to give that a try. And if you want to get into entertainment, you don't go back to Dallas, you know what I'm saying? So I went to Los Angeles. Yeah, and it was. Were you a shy kid when you were little, and that and theater is what helped you bring you out of your shell? I wasn't really shy like that, but I'm an only child, so I definitely was pretty introverted. But it taught me speak from your diaphragm, just stuff like that. Be able to being able to make a connection with the audience and stuff. So it just really helps me to build those skills, if anything, to social skills. Yeah, build on top of that. Nice. I loved it. So then, if you had this background where you go from Dallas, Oklahoma, and you did, you were in Los Angeles, we're in yeah. Burbank now. Yeah. So when was the when was the day you were like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm going. That's it. I'm leaving. What was the t- time or day or what was the moment you're like, oh, I'm gonna go. That's it. And I'm, I'm done. What? I'm done with the tornadoes. I'm done with Oklahoma. I like Tex-Mex, but I gotta go. I gotta go. Yeah. I gotta go to the West Side. Los Angeles was always on my mind, even before I moved to Oklahoma. But I was like, you know what? This would just be my stepping stepping stone, and the stepping stone it was. Honestly, it was just like I took my little trip out here. You know how you take the trip beforehand sometimes. Turned in a couple resumes, figured out what area I want to live in because I didn't know nothing really about Los Angeles. I 
visited here before, before vacation, but I wasn't driving. I didn't know nothing. I was 13. So I just took that trip. I went back to Oklahoma, packed myself up, and then I just packed my car and I just you said drove 13. out here. Yeah. Oh, your first time when here I in was Los here last time. I was yeah. When I was here before that trip, it was just for a vacation. Oh, okay. I was 13. I, I was about, so he was not reporting at 13. Yes, in I was. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Can you talk about what that trip was like when you came here when you were 13? Do you yeah. even remember what happened? I do remember, actually, yeah. I, I remember, like, even the car that we was driving and everything. Like, I went over to visit the Hollywood you sign. You drove all the way over to LA. No. When we got here, when we got off the plane, we rented a car. Oh. I was staying in Hollywood. Oh. But I, like, I'm saying, I remember the rental car we had and everything. But it was cool. I was just you like, were staying on Hollywood Boulevard? Not on Hollywood Boulevard, but it was some, like, little boutique hotel or something. The, the one on Sunset? I don't even know. It was, like, the W Hotel? No, what the W? I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember the hotel. It was some little boutique hotel, though. How long did you stay in L.A.? For vacation? Mm -hmm. Maybe like five days. What did you do? Everything. We did all the sightseeing everything. We did the beach. We did the Hollywood sign. We did the Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, everything. Ate the food. We did it all. Was there any... Oh, go ahead. Was there anything you were surprised at whenever you got here to Los Angeles that you weren't... Not when you were 13, but like when you moved out here for serious when i finally moved out here i don't know some people are like oh, it's gonna be a culture shock but i wasn't that shocked because i feel like unt was already so diverse and that really trained me to texas is surprisingly diverse it really been there. is it really is and i don't think people know that or understand it you really won't know until you come out there i think people just think it's like just hick town or whatever and so of course there's those areas but it's it texas is really quite diverse like every state has those areas yeah yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Did so I answer you, your question? Yeah. <laughs> so then, uh, so you came out here. Uh, what was your first job out here in Los Angeles? Oh, my goodness. My first job? Okay, so I got with a temp agency. Mm. When I first got out here, it was literally just like, ironically, I think I was working at a marketing agency. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. What kind of marketing agency? Uh, oh, my goodness. I can't, but it was for a, uh, I think it was a, in the marketing department for a nonprofit which nonprofits are crazy on their own because it's so much, it's underfunded, it's low pay, but the CEOs are still making millions of dollars. So that was wild to me. But um, That is insane. They do make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, they really do. But I enjoyed it, you know what I mean? That was pretty much it. I just, from there, and then I was like a communications director. I was, I did something else in marketing, but I was just, the temp agency was just moving me all around Los Angeles, basically. So, uh, and I know you from producing. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you who are listening, uh, uh, she's helped produce some things I've been involved with. When it comes to your producing skills, when was that? When were you first able to step into that role of producing? I first stepped into it honestly when I was working just with my internship, and then even with the television station at UNT, they gave me the chance to basically. I was, but it was more like newscast producing. So I would build the show, build the A block, B block, all of that, the breaks, and so I was like, dude, I really love this. Like I'm building a show out, and people are enjoying it. You know what I mean? I'll do the segments and everything. So I just, I really loved all of that. But then when I moved out here, there was this other company that I was able to work with, which is called AfterBuzz. And so it's a company that's owned by Maria Menunos and, and her partner. And honestly, I was, man, I felt like the casting producer, I would bring in other guests. I would build out the show and everything. It was just so freaking cool to me. I was like, I really love this job. So I've had my own little fair share so of So are it. you, does this mean you're done acting? 
No, I'm not done acting. It just means I still want to do everything. I'm still doing a lot of, I'm going to be doing a couple more productions with some of my friends. That's what I have coming up here soon. But I'm still definitely doing. For producing or for acting? For acting as well, yeah. But I, I definitely, shoot, I'm still going on auditions. I still have my three agencies and everything too. So I'm, I'm doing it all at once. What happened to that producing job that you were just talking about? So the producing job just closed, basically. It, it ended. And it was just contract anyway. So you're saying with, with me and DJ, right? No, I'm talking about with Maria. Oh, so I honestly, I worked there. <laughs> so so I, I, just told, I told all of me and DJ's business. Not yet. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's not referring to like when we previously worked there. You're talking about the first thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, now, yeah. okay. Yeah. <coughs> LOL. See, this is what happens. When you work in Hollywood, you see so many people, you do so many different projects. You're like, okay, which project was that? Huh? Are you uh -huh. the other project or, the, or this one? Okay. Number 475 or number 675? <laughs> the one in 2020 or 2021? Right. Which one? Um, so, honestly, I worked for them for like three or four years, but then I just got like another gig. I just started working with a separate network, and that was pretty much it. I appreciate it for what it did. I, I never would have been able to interview Lee Daniels or Oprah or John Singleton. Yeah. You, you interviewed all those people? Yeah, I did. So what I are some of your favorite ones that you interviewed? My favorite interviews, honestly, so we would do a recap of a show, basically. I think what you do with maybe Southern Senpai, I think, but we would do a recap of this one show that was called Star, and it got Lee Daniels. He's a mega producer, director, and writer here in, in, in Los Angeles. It caught his eye, and his PR people reached out to us, and they invited us to his office up in Beverly Hills, basically. And so I got to go into his office and interview him about Star, his show at the time, anything else he had going on in life, and then just really his upbringing. And the fact that he recognized my face and knew, like he was able to speak to my personality, like that was so freaking cool to me. I did slide him my headshot as well. Obviously, nothing to. else came of you it. You got to yeah, slide it. But Lee Daniels, holla at me. <laughs> did, he, did you guys have a conversation before the interview? No, we didn't. We just literally went in there, shook his hand, and we sat down, and he just talked with us. We didn't get the pre-interview jazz. We didn't do all of that. Or a post-interview, huh? Yeah. But well, we did speak to his PR people a little bit ahead of time, but not with him yet. Uh, all right, May. What? Now it's time to, to go ahead and... So, Every time we bring someone on the show, we okay. usually then talk a little bit more about what's going on in the industry right now. And something that's really interesting that's going on in the industry is that I think it's I think it's the most viewed interview within 48 hours <laughs> on the internet. Yes. Today is January 9th, yes. and as of now, it is cl cleared the uh, 20 million views. Cat Williams. Yeah talking to Mr. Shannon Sharp. Yeah. Shoo! Nicholas, you want to ask her the first question about this? Because it is think? about our industry. I loved it, honestly. Just as an actor, now, I've done some stand-up comedy myself as well. So I think sometimes people assume that everything is always all fun and games. So just being able to see and hear from his perspective. Like, no, these are issues I've had. People stole my jokes. People took my writing. People took this gig from me. Or I wasn't getting paid adequately on this gig. I think it's still People are treating you inappropriately or unfairly. It is so important to talk about the business aspect of those things as well. You know, because it's not all ish and giggles. So I, I appreciated that perspective. But it was hilarious. I literally sat down and watched the whole thing. I didn't even care. I'm going to be fair with you. I had to watch it like two or three times. Me too! <laughs> First of all, I, I don't, I haven't seen every episode of The Shea Room, I believe it's called. 
but uh, oh, Club Shay. Club Shay. Thank yeah, you. Club I've, Shay I've not seen every episode, huh. but it is almost three hours long. I don't recall his other ones being even half of that. I length. didn't think they were. They're usually maximum an hour. Yeah. Maximum. Yeah. Well, so- Shannon Sharp said that he was talking when he got in the room. They were talking for 30 minutes before they even started recording. They started exactly. drinking he said, before they started recording. I didn't even get through all of my questions. He said, I had so much more left in the vault. He said, I didn't even get to talk to him about everything I wanted to talk to him about. So that was so and interesting. And it's obvious. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they just sat down and just started went talking. for it. Just rocket shipped it. I, I do. As a producer myself, like, Shannon said that, oh, if you watch the, the interview, Cat Williams rants for 30 minutes before Shannon can really even start to ask him anything. He does not step in and be like, How do you, so both of us have worked in in podcasting and producing audio. Yeah. How would you as a producer would have handled, oh, actually as an interviewer, would have handled that situation? You have someone who's just ranting. It's all good stuff though. Yeah. But you gotta, you know, as an interviewer, it's your job to control the situation. It is. Um, And I think too, that's a thing where... Whenever you come out with a show, you can really just be anybody and have a show. But I, I, that's where, and I hate to sound elitist, but when you've had that training, you know when to cut in and stop the, the interview or bring it back on track. And so it did veer off a little bit, I'm not going to lie. But it, dang, it's still made for a viral moment. So it's just like, I can't really be too upset it about didn't it. It veer off to anything that was bad. It veered off in good ways every single time. Sure, sure. The, bad depends on who you ask. Some people, well, I'm sure yeah. they didn't like all the comments. Yeah. Yeah. The whole I, I, I interview mean, I mean, good was a viral like, relevant. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm not too mad about it, but personally, I would have had to stop it at some point and be like, alright, dude, let's get right back into it. And then there were some things that Cat Williams said, like I was reading 3,000 books a year, and I was just that. How like, do you... I'm like, Shannon, please ask him about 3, that and dive a little bit books deeper. A year? You don't... Okay, so there's 365 days in a year. Yes. 3,000? That means you're reading like at least 10 books a day. Mm-hmm. Now, this is prior to Audible. <laughs> prior to audio Right. This man, was it pamphlets? I could read 3,000 pamphlets. Someone Bruh. said 3,000 pamphlets in a year. I would and believe then, that. Because there's another point where he, Cat Williams, I got accepted into college at like age 7 or something super right. early. <laughs> that, actually, I've heard several rumors of that before the interview came out. But it's I've like, I wanted Shannon to dive into that. You know, like, yeah. how do you get, how do you find placement for that? How do you do that? You are young, he's a young black man, a young black boy from what, from wherever he's from. Where, Cleveland, I think he said. Yeah. But I'm like, Ohio, yeah. Ohio. I'm like, come on, ask about that. I would have wanted to dive it, a lot deeper. You would have, you would have dived deeper. Oh as my God. A, yes. Shannon was like, I'm not going to have a show after this. He did say that. I was like, how, what do you he's mean? like, how am I going to have a show after this? All, right. all, all of us younger people were like, oh, everybody's going to be knocking on the door. And then Cat Williams said the same. He's like, everybody's going to want to come to your show now. I'm like, exactly. And now something that's quite interesting that Nicholas brought up, because as soon as it, as soon as it came out, me and Nicholas were alerted. We watched the whole thing. I've seen it several times just because there's so much to unpack. I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I didn't Same. get everything on the all, first All my watch. friends that come over and be like, we got to watch the Cat Williams interview. So I just put it on as a play and I'd be like, listen to this. Dude, watch yeah. this. The craziest part about the interview is not even the interview. It's the people that responded to the interview. And the craziest part was, and this is what I was telling him, nobody is saying he's lying. No. Of course not. They're right. all saying he's a hater, but they're not saying he's lying. Yeah. That's a crate. And Cat Williams, I had the receipts. Yeah. Now, to be fair, Cat Williams is the, a lot of people were trying to, oh, get back at him by saying, oh, don't make me call a seventh grader. Don't make me. <laughs> yeah, when he got. At the same yeah. time, 
that sounds to me like you're deflecting. Yeah. That doesn't mean the cat's wrong. Yeah. You hear about some of these things like, okay, it's going to get a little blue because I'm not going to say exactly what he said and we have to stay clean, but he said he wanted to get to a certain level with still being a virgin in the sense. And I still feel like that is because it was the whole Me Too movement and things mm-hmm. like that, but I still like, I feel like it's still very prevalent. Do you want to speak to, have, have you had any experience like that where people have offered you to do things that were inappropriate? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, I'm a woman. Yeah, absolutely. There was this one, and I don't mind, it was this one, man, I was actually out doing my whole red carpet thing as an entertainment journalist, and I had, sometimes when you're just out there on the red carpet, you'll just talk with other journalists and other photographers and stuff. You will exchange information with one another and connect your network and everything, so I definitely thought that he was going to be a network, and he was a photog for E! News. And he was like, I was like, hey, man, if you just want to link up, let's go for a coffee. You know what I'm saying? Because I was trying to get in also on the production side or just what, get in where you fit in type of thing. And he was like, I'm sorry, is this about work or is this a, a hookup? And I was like, excuse me? So he definitely Ooh. thought that I was like trying to hook up with him. And he was just older guy, like old enough to Why be our dad. the old people? It was he's so the one, He's the one our it's age. The he's always the old people. Like, so oh, weird. are you about to? And he could have easily scrolled up in the text message to know that this was a business connection. But, yeah, no, that definitely happens. But uh, thank God for the gift of discernment, you know what I mean? Because not everybody is worth it. You really have to learn, especially as a woman, when somebody's just trying to waste your time. Because yeah. sometimes people try to get you in the studio. They try to take you out for a lunch date. And Coffee, it's just a date. dinner, something. It's so weird. I've definitely had that issue, too, where somebody talked to me as if they wanted to do business with me. But it was really just a date. And he's asking me a thousand questions about if I'm in a relationship and how did I meet my man. It's weird. That happens. 100% does not happen i have not had that experience as much as you have yeah but it has happened to me once or twice Ooh, was it a cougar uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah being an african-american male yeah there are some older caucasian females yeah that believe that their status allows them to do Uh similar things yeah and you're so moisturized too Uh, yeah (laughs) he's moisturized just another thing that cat brings up when he talks about so you're a producer Mm -hmm. and that means that you know when it comes to projects you got to know everything who you you're there to be it's way easier to produce when you're in there at the beginning Right. Yeah. So where you know the casting, the writers, there's directing, oh, stuff yeah. like that, right? And as a producer, you're also a bit of a wrangler, right? Getting all the people together. For sure. Something that Kat talks about is prior to someone even meeting you as a producer is the gatekeeper. As someone who does a lot of different producing, how would you advise people to navigate around possibly some gatekeeping because there is a lot there is 100% still huge gatekeeping happening here in Hollywood absolutely and yet you've had some amazing opportunities yeah how would you give someone who's like maybe looking to do what you do how would you advise them to get around some gatekeeping it's kind of cliche, but like if a door closes, find a window. There's so many different avenues, and that's why I love about being in Los Angeles. Is like there's so many different avenues that you can go through. As far as gatekeeping, I have the technical experience. I have about 10 years of experience. Like I could easily be doing a newscast or something like that for E News or Beyond with PN or something like that. But it is difficult. Like it is, it really is a fight out here, and you have to prove that you're not only talented, but you know how to do the business side of things as well. So I would just say, just stick with it. Really, just keep grinding it sounds so cliche I'm so sorry but it's just like sometimes doors will close and there are absolutely gatekeepers out there but don't let that get you down you know what I mean because 
it's difficult for me being a woman, being a black woman. People are not always as interested in giving me an opportunity because they're going to assume all, all, just off top that I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. So I've definitely been in positions where I was the most qualified, but I wasn't given the job for whatever reason. That It's not even really my main concern, but it, it definitely happens. But I just would say for anybody, my advice would be just don't let that deter you at all. Don't be discouraged. Speaking of being a black woman, could you speak to the egos that you've had to handle and how you went about handling them? Yeah. I'm a Southern girl, so I'm very upfront. I prefer to handle things one-on-one with somebody, but it's a little bit different here in Los Angeles. You can't really just pull somebody outside and be like, let's have a conversation about this so we can move forward. It's Um, a little different in the South. It's really different. So sometimes, if God forbid, if I have to have somebody neutral in there or speak with HR, just depending on what the case is. But other than that, like, I just, I make it plain. One thing that I've noticed that some other women will do in the workspace that I do appreciate is when I would say something and then maybe like a man would try to cut me off, another woman will come in and she'll affirm what I said. Back to what her point is, to, to Mae Stone's point, is she said we should do this, this, and this, and I think this would work. You know what I mean? So I really appreciate that perspective as well. But And I think even with working with DJ, there were a few times where I had an idea and it would work really well. And the DJ was like, "Am I? did you already say this before? And I was like, there yeah, I have so said this before. I was like, you're times. just reiterating what I've already said. But I appreciate when he would actually just affirm what I've already said. Yeah. It was quite, when me and when me and May were working together, it was ridiculous. I, I hand to God, May would say something that was a really great idea and obviously worked. And the executive at the time would shoot it down in the same breath. Like, May would say it, and then this executive would be like, no, no. And then I go, well, how about this? Say the exact same thing. Yeah. And just because I know that she'll accept it, and then executive would be like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then I would literally say, Mate, didn't you just literally say this? <laughs> yeah. That would, that's crazy. It's really annoying. And even got to the point where even the two graphic designers who were not the producer, they're graphic designer, but they'd be like, no, to her point, like, that definitely makes sense. We should absolutely try to explore that. <laughs> so, okay. It's <laughs> ridiculous. By the way, I should mention that this executive was female. Yeah. This executive was not a, a male. It was a female. So nobody is really exempt from that. I think sometimes black people can be hard on black people. Women are harder on, on women a it lot of times. It was a black female executive. Yeah. Speaking of harsh black female executives, I don't mean to cut you off. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about that. <laughs> Let me cut you off. But I, while we have you here, I honestly, I need to ask you a little bit about Taraj Henson and the color purple. Because remember, she was on the, she'd been around making, she was making the rounds crying on the news about like how she's not making enough as a black female actress. Yeah. Then you have Oprah who comes in and is, I'll provide you with the job that the Color Purple was already in production. Yeah, for sure. Right? It was already happening. Yeah. When, when, when she started doing all this. Yeah. But Oprah is the one doing this to her, who was another black woman. How does that make you feel? I don't know if I could even fully blame Oprah because Oprah is not the full production either. So it's there's many. In order for Taraji P. Henson to not be paid fairly, there's many steps. There's a lot of steps. That's true. Yeah. But she, for some reason, specifically blames Oprah. And it's not like it would be different if she was some sort of faceless, nameless person. I'm, it's Oprah's production company. Mm-hmm. It's Oprah who's the executive producer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's there's a whole bunch of steps between her and Oprah, and I'm pretty sure that's how she got away with it. But isn't it still, it's still a lot. It's like the situation that you and I had when we had a black female mm-hmm. executive, mm-hmm. and yet it took, and yet I, a male, for some reason, had to repeat things mm-hmm. that you were saying. 
Yeah. So from what I saw, just she seemed as if Oprah was a lot more supportive than some of the other executives who were also part of the making of the color purple. But you know, I'm like I said, I think. If we, my issue is, if we talk about Oprah, then we have to talk about many other executives. But I think Oprah is the most hyper visible person there, so it's easy to be like, Oprah, you did this wrong. Oprah, you did that wrong. That's but true. If Oprah is one of the executive producers, I would absolutely, I would also expect Oprah to be on top of that to ensure that, especially your black female talent, is being paid fairly, being paid correctly. And the literal color purple. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And I think too, some people don't care because we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars or like a million dollars to get signed on and the everyday person ain't getting that we ain't signing jobs for that so they're like oh my god it's just the wealthy looking out for the wealthy but when you look at the grand scheme of the full production they did have the money for that you know what so that's just where where my mind goes as well and i'm always going to feel like listen if you're the male lead is getting paid more than you and you're doing the same amount of work like that is unfair or if you're having to drive after working 14 to 16 hours that's extremely unsafe on a production standpoint. Especially if you're sleepy, right? Driving sleepy is worse <laughs> yeah, than driving drunk. You get eepy. I think what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of times in the entertainment industry, regardless of the race or the gender of the person, I think a lot of people don't realize, especially in Taraji P. Henson's case, is say you get signed on and you make, I don't know, $5 million. Yeah. Every, what a lot of people don't realize or understand is Taraji P. Henson doesn't get that $5 million. Yeah. She has to divide that up amongst many people. A whole team of people. That helped her get that job. Exactly. And so you might end up with $500,000 or $600,000. And you got to make that stretch until your next job. But you don't know when that is. Nobody knows. Exactly. So that's what saying it's not possible, but still. You don't know when that, when you're going to get another gig. And then you have, especially if you have kids, you got your mortgage, you got your car payment. And the mortgages out here, they're not small mortgages. And you got to stay. A lot of people, they feel like they have to stay here in Los Angeles because that's where the work is. So it's really difficult. It's really hard. I, I can't be locked up for a year and only get paid this much i'm not i understand what i'm talking about seems like a lot of money to you guys yeah but in the grand scheme of things it's not money at all because when your mortgage is really like 20 dollars that 500k evaporates really fast yeah and if you have kids that are going back to school you have you know you're paying not only for that then you're paying for your regular utilities everything else then also, you now need to go audition for how who knows how long to go find some other yeah. gig. And let's say you do get the gig, they might not start production for another year. Yeah, exactly. The way that you have to make the money stretch is really crazy, to be honest. And then if you don't make enough money in a certain year, you lose your insurance with SAG. Yeah. So it's like it's, a like, lot of- it's like a rolling effect. It's really hard for people. Can- Maystone... I appreciate you coming on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoy it. Where can people find you at? Oh, thank you. So you can find me on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at Maystone. That's M-A-E, Stone with two Ts. Yeah, just holla at me, man. And I'll definitely be having some upcoming projects here pretty soon and some streamers going on. So I definitely look to hear from you all. All right. Everyone, this has been Film Center News. My name's Derek Johnson II. I'm Nicholas Killian. And we're here with? based on and we'll see you next time see you this has been film center on comic-con radio 
Check out our previous episodes at filmcenternews.com. Sign up for our newsletter and get the Hollywood trade straight to you. You can follow the show at Film Center News on all major platforms. Tune in next week for a fresh update. Until next time, this has been Film Center. Hey, do you like anime and manga? Nick and I are big fans of the genre. Yeah, we recently discovered a manga named Tamashi. It's written and created by Ryan McCarthy, and it recently just came out with its 10th volume. Now, Tamashi is an isekai about a girl who gets transported to another world called the Ancient Lands. She gains mysterious powers and must fight demons and monsters to find her way home. Check it out on Amazon, Blurp, and get a physical copy at ryanmccarthyproductions.com.